Kurt. I'm Kurt Cobain. Yay! Yay! Go! Well, thanks guys for taking the time to talk about this amazing film. I'm, you've been living with it now for how long? When, when did you first conceive eight, it? Eight years. Eight years now. So, I mean, being at this point, what, even reflecting back on the eight years, how would you describe this journey for you? Oh, it's been a, it's been a remarkable journey. Um, Kurt, I think, the most inspiring subject I've ever had to I've ever encountered. Yeah. Um, I mean, really, his story really sort of lends itself to to film, adapts so well to film. Party on, Wayne. Um, because of the fact that he he was able to express himself. Um, both orally and visually. Yeah. And, you know, um, most people, you can go one or the other. Um, but with Kurt, you know, he was, he was basically giving us a guide track, both orally and visually. So, it was, I mean, it was, I, I've never encountered anything like it before. Even eight years ago, when you first were thinking about doing this project, what was the end goal? What was the story you're hoping to tell? I, I never go into it that way per yeah. se. I mean, I, I can't tell you what the story is going to be until I've evaluated all the materials I have to work with. Yeah. But I could tell you that it, when it was conceived eight years ago, um, and it's changed dramatically. I mean, it's even silly for me to say this, but my thought at the time was it would be like the wall for our generation. Okay. I mean, that was the, yeah. I mean, that was before I knew nothing. Yeah, yeah, I just, that was the sort of spirit of the type of movie that I wanted to create. I guess at that point, you know, when you're even conceiving in the pre-production stages, how much does sound, and obviously and music is obviously a huge role, that's kind of, I think, you can script out the story just with the songs alone, but just the sound design and how much you wanted to lean on your, your team here. How much of that do you start thinking about in the scripting pre-production stages for you? Well, you got to understand scripting comes, the, in a film like this, the, the script comes after I've screened through everything. So it's actually, um, we're already almost editing at the point I'm working on the script. Yeah. So I have to rephrase your question. Okay. Um, the scripting starts for me after I've evaluated everything. Okay. And part of that evaluation was, um, when I went into the storage facility, Courtney's storage facility, she gave me um, in 2012 access to this facility where Kurt's uh, art is housed. And I went there and what I didn't know going before I went there was that there was going to be a box with uh, 107 cassettes with over 200 hours of audio. And that audio pretty much was the, the soundtrack to this film. So it was the score, it was Kurt's narration, um, a lot of the sound collages um, uh, germinated there. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the design, either elements or ideas, started in there. And so at that point, it became readily clear that Kurt not only expressed himself orally through his music, but had also left behind um, several tracks that could work for score, and more importantly, to me, the great revelation of that whole process was his uh, mix, his uh, sound collages, yeah. because I found that to be one of the most pure forms of expression that Kurt um, participated in. 
And so at that point, it was like there's this whole other tool that can be used to provide access to Kurt's uh, view of the world. You know, I, th I mean, I look at it this way. Film is 50% sound, 50% image, right. and each of those elements are equally as valuable in terms of telling a story. Right. And uh, with montage, in a way, I would say, the, and I would say probably this with a lot of my films, the first pass of the film is almost entirely oral um, in terms of getting, because, you know, with this movie, you're, the visuals are going to be constructed later. Yeah. So we're sort of getting the, the template. In terms of music, on the first week of editing, the first week of screening through footage, I did this with Crossfire as well. I spent the first week or two just listening to every recorded track and deconstructing both the lyrical content and the musical content. So at the point that we started editing, we had already, for the most part, selected the music yeah. and the order of the music and where it would go and how it would appear and what have you. Yeah. So Cameron, what do you remember when you first were introduced to the project and Brett presents you with Here's, here's the film, here's the documentary, this is where I'm at. What, what, was, what, what state was that and, and you know, what well, were your first, thoughts? The first time I saw the picture was down in Brett's office. Yeah. Um, and uh, sat down in a room and watched it stem to stern and uh, it was just fascinating. Um, Brett, Brett does so much shaping and, and having the tools of, of Kurt's uh, imagery, his paintings, um, uh, uh, all, all of his sound design stuff. He was able to s start creating this, this, this sound design in motion. Yeah. And um, it was just um, it's an unbelievable opportunity. I accumulated quite a healthy complex, not to mention a complexion. Then one day I discovered the most ultimate form of expression ever, marijuana. Oh boy, pot. I could escape all day long and not have routine nervous breakdowns. Also, you hinted at like just the research, like you're saying, of going through lyrics and looking at all the materials available. What, what was the research process for you like then? Once I got into Kurt's material, it was just just to study it and learn it and get familiar with what what he was doing. Yeah. Um, and then we would take take some of his material and and uh, uh, sample it and try to figure out how to keep it in Kurt's world. It was very important for the film and, and with Brett's guidance to make sure that we're always looking through Kurt's eyes. Right. Um, and Brett called me a few times. He says, you know, this is starting to sound like Cameron here. We need to kind of reshape. And, uh, and that was critical. And we just kept going deeper and deeper. I mean, working with Brett, you start in the deep end and you've you you, 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 you you free dive the entire time. The so lifeguard you, at the end. You is, end up in a yeah. per, you end up in a perfect storm. Yeah, you, you better take a big deep breath. You know.
Well, I think that, that there was a learning curve for all of us, yeah. I think, in terms of capturing Kurt's voice. Because I think what Cameron said was really the core challenge both for myself and for Cameron and for John and for Jeff Dana yeah. and for the various editors was we're used to going approaching a project, you know, the, with the aesthetics that we 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 possess, that we right. the way we see the world. And with this, we were we were channeling Kurt, and so you know, with in all facets. I remember Cameron would at some point we we had to figure out what, what's the language because it's an Anna and he these guys had a really amazing challenge, which is. We're already starting with this analog sound design, but we're making a movie, so we need to further it. And the challenge with this film is when it sounds like John and Cameron, you're taken out of the film. Yeah. And so, or if it sounds like me, or if it sounds like Joe, the editor, or Jeff Dana, the audience is removed from the film and they feel the heavy hand of the filmmaker. Yeah. So the part of the psychology of the film is that in those, um, abstract sections that the viewer actually thinks Kurt put that together. Right. I mean, that's the premise of the film right. in essence is you get to a section, let's say when Kurt's losing it in the third act and there's just journals and sound design and we're inviting the audience to seamlessly experience as Kurt's and of course the elements are Kurt's, the words are Kurt's and a lot of the core sounds are Kurt's but how we're feathering them is 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 what we were tasked to do, and so it, it, it was. It's really interesting. There were just certain sounds that you would go. Either these weren't around when Kurt was was, you know, or things that just. So right, there's. Yeah. I think. I think collectively, all of us had to learn to work within that language. Yeah, John. For you, when you started getting on board with this project, and you know that there's probably more material than you actually need to work with. How do you, I mean, from the direction that Brett gave you, where, how, where do you start? How do you start navigating, crafting, you know, uh, the story? Well, for me, I guess, you know, because I knew Cameron's going to start in and start thinking, you know, conceptually. Start, like, getting in the headspace. So for me, it's a lot more, like, technical. Like, what, okay, we, here's what we have in front of us. Now, how do we make that the best that we can so that everything else can attach to it? One of the things you do when you're dealing with documentary, you get all this footage and all of this sound recording, and they're from all kinds of different years and different sounds and different things. And so you get, you get this footage and it's like, oh, well, this came off of MTV and it's, it's a stereo file, but what, is it really stereo? Is it mono? Is it what's going on with it? So a lot of what I end up doing initially is just like figuring out like how do we make that one clip sound as good as we can. Yeah, I think something that was really nice like with the home videos when there probably wasn't sound maybe attached to some of those is trying to just accent maybe some of the environment. And I don't know if that was, was there sound on a lot of those home videos of the early as, as Kurt as a child? No, the, the, the child stuff, um, when he's a baby, there's no, that's all MOS. Okay. And we did very little uh, traditional sort of sound work in that section at all. I, I don't, I, I, almost nothing. Yeah. Um, one of the things with the sound design on the film is there's very little, I mean, Cameron did some stuff like when Kurt's shaving mm -hmm. with Courtney where you added, that you guys added some ambiance of the razor and this and that, and so we enhanced the environments. But there was not a lot of that. And it, I think 
John, correct me if I'm wrong, with the two of you guys, in a normal universe, a typical fiction, dramatic film, I would imagine a huge part of your job is, is Foley-esque work, which is creating, so that picture which was recorded with no sound, as I look at it, nothing's distracting me, yes. right? And what we're doing is, the, is almost the antithesis of that. There's very few times where we're actually trying to find sounds that mimic the image we're seeing. A lot of times we're going the other direction with it. He really didn't want to live with his mom or his dad. He wanted to be on his own. And so he moves into this dump. He wasn't making a lot of money, and I think he was scared not being able to pay his own way. He didn't know what he was doing. And in the hallway outside the apartment, it was completely graffiti. no way he was going to be the nine-to-five work guy that comes home with a briefcase and wife cooks him dinner. And, I mean, this just wasn't ever going to happen. But he wanted some type of connection. This is love. This is love. This is shitty, pissing, fucking all over each other, licking his spitting up Gerber baby food, not worrying if the plastic tarp is on the floor, because, baby, this is love. At what point did you decide, you know, to bring in your composer, Jeff Dana, to kind of fill in some of those sections that you knew you really wanted to... Lean into it. Jeff came in um, towards the end, like I think in October, and then th th that was an interesting thing. Like a lot of a couple of scenes that Jeff did um, were really, I think, even though they never spoke, I don't think you guys spoke, or maybe you did once or twice, but they were real collaborative in the sense that, you know, like the scene with Kurt's father. Um, Kurt gave us the the we took the uh, ISO of the guitar from something in the way. Mm -hmm. Jeff did a bed of music and Cameron and John did a bed of design and Jeff's music isn't really music it's more like it's a design element as well right so you have Jeff's element Kurtz and Cameron and John all sort of synced up and no nobody's doing once again nobody's doing sync sound there's nothing to sync sound to there's two people talking but to create to, to enhance the, and embellish the tension in the room, those design elements just made you feel like you're on a ship that's a little... Uneven. Yeah, and that was actually, I remember that was a design that we ended up going with a lot, that sort of... That creaky ship. Yeah, underwater sounds. Yeah. Uh, mechanical sounds that would, that would sync up against the music. There was always um, trying to create an emotional attachment to every scene. There was ne it never really sat flat. Um, even if it was super subtle and then uh, started to, to become more attached and sort of as it revealed itself, then we would transition into another scene. I mean, there's a lot of that going on. And we tried a lot of stuff, uh, like in the apartment, we had a whole underwater scene where there were just, it was kind of another world. It was this euphoric, very soft sound. And it was really cool, but it also felt a little too affected so I think we kind of at that point in the film once we got there it felt good to to just be in this empty apartment with these guys and not have it be too embellished but uh, throughout the film we were constantly trying different ideas and Brett's is, is like a never-ending source of, of concepts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, with that, no. being, with, with that being said, yeah. there's, you know, this quote from, uh, you know, Kim, Kim Cor, uh, Cobain, Kurt's sister, where it's, he's, you know, Kurt's brain was constantly going. It's just ne relentless. And 
early on in the film, you kind of set that up, that this is who he is, this is how his brain works. Was that kind of the directive you're trying to give the audience of what you're getting into? Well, it wasn't, no, but the, that was just the way it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? That wasn't like, I mean, that was just par for the course okay. that we were going to be in his head and his head is, and there are a lot of moving pieces, you know, it's like looking inside a clock. And, and, um, and so, I mean, I think part of, I think what part of what makes this movie um, so much more, um, I don't, I don't want to compare it, but more rewarding in a way than Crossfire for, for, for in terms of the collaboration we did. Yeah. In Crossfire, we're creating design elements that are creating an experience, but it's almost an objective experience in a sense. And with, 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 with Montage of Heck, everything is an expression of Kurt. So there's a point of view for everything. Yeah. And the design elements that they were doing, the beds, even in the scene with the father, was almost our way of, of allowing Kurt to have a voice in that room. You know, so, so the fact that the, the, these abstract noises in this film were all, I think the way the audience um, deconstructs them is that they're all part of Kurt's vocabulary and Kurt's texture and that's to me why this film was such a unique experience because it's it, it's really Kurt's interior journey through life yeah. that's the movie and so the opportunities for design to step forward and, and take the lead you know were plentiful in a way that you just normally don't you just don't have that space yeah or that, that freedom when you when you discover these tapes and realize that he was such a just Audiophile? An audiophile, and, and uh, you know, as an artist, he wanted to really, everything got, got, ended up on paper, basically, and which I, I think is evident in the film, you know, how much note-taking there was and how much of a record there was. For you, at what point did you decide kind of how you wanted to utilize that, that, that as a storytelling mechanism to... I mean, it's just from the first shot, you know, I mean, I think the first thing we did was the logo sound design. Mm -hmm in the offline where we put together, you know, the, you know, we, we laid down the foundation for it. These guys finished, you know, did the heavy lifting up, but we laid down that, which was an important thing because we were, I remember saying, let's get the logos from the studio very early in the offline. Um, because that right from the first frame, you're brought into, you're, we're establishing, well, we're, we're establishing a, a, a surround space. I would say it's one of the greatest opening logos because it, you don't have to wait two minutes to see if the surrounds are working. <laughs> it's like essentially the THX test. Right, yeah, yeah. We basically did the THX logo as part of our universal logo. So every speaker is coming into play. And that was, I think, a really important. So that's the first thing you're experiencing in the film. And that was uh, our way of sort of bringing you into Kurt's world. Um, so I think it was we were, we were sort of painting with it from sculpting with the sound from, from, the, first, from the first frame.
Someone, it wasn't, I read some review of the film in which they talked about how it's almost as if we're, we're, um, we're, you know, it's almost like sculpt, the film almost feels like it's, it's, it's being sculpted with sound, which I think is an apt description of, of the movie. I mean, this is really, and, 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 you know, I'm not saying this because we're doing a sound thing. You yeah. can't separate the dia the, the audio from the movie. If you tried to watch this film with the sound off, you would not be able to follow or comprehend a narrative. Right. Yeah. At what, at what point did you want to just say this is going to be a departure from traditional everything needs to be on the front wall and we treat the surrounds as, uh, you know, as... Characters? Or, or, or just as, like, you know, with reverbs or, like, you know, traditional Hollywood films? That's just how, I mean, that's yeah. just how I, 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 I'm surprised. You know, surrounds, I mean, these guys can talk about it a lot more than I. They're so tricky because I'm certainly been in movies and been annoyed yeah. when you're sitting close to the surrounds and you hear stuff and it takes you out of the movie because you're looking at something up there. So it's a really, it's, it's, it, and yet at the same time, I find often they're underutilized. In terms of creating an immersive experience and feeling you're, like you're wrapped around, the sound is wrapping around you, mm -hmm. or that you're feeling it rather than hearing it, I think surrounds can be amazing. Mm -hmm. And the scenes, you know, I think there's this great, in the opening montage of this film, I think the whole design element is sort of set up by, you start with Kurt and these voices are traveling all around you and they're quirky and they're kitschy and they're out there. And then you go into the dialogue and you get a traditional talking head interview bite and then the sound, then it smash cuts to these moments and the sound just wraps around you. And it's not, there's, it's not I, I don't even think there's anything more coming from the front than the sides. It's yeah, it's just, all even. Yeah. It's all around you and, it, it, and you suddenly know you're in a different space. You're not in a traditional dock in which everything's gonna be frontal you're gonna be part of the experience. You're gonna be immersed into this thing. And, and I, I have to say, I think the, 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 um, John and Cameron did such a great job because I don't, I've seen this film in several different arenas mm -hmm. and I'm never distracted, I'm never looking at the speaker, even though there was so much surround work happening. You know, there's not a moment, and I've been, you've, you know, we all know those movies where you're sitting there and you hear whether it's a, you go, oh man, why did you need to put that there? Like, right. it, you're just distracting me. But I feel like there's this really, and maybe it's because of the way we go into the film that it just, it's sort of comforting or whatever, but it, it almost, I don't know, it feels like you're in a womb. You know, you're, you're, you're sort of in the womb. Well, and we do have that moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it basically is a moment. Where yeah. Yeah. But, well, I was like, Cameron, how would you just, just just, you know, describe knowing that it's not traditional surround type of mix per se, and even the music is being opened up into the room. So what, what for you was? Yeah, just to elaborate on what Brett was saying, there's the use of the surrounds um, was, a, was a place for hard sounds, for pads, for all sorts of things to live, but things kind of, the, the scenes would evolve and things were coming forward or they were moving back. So you don't get that kind of like where something's just popping on that's distracting. It, it all it all was attached to the picture. Um, and I think always important as as the picture is so visual that all the sound was 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 either you know pulling out of the picture or at, at moments causing something to happen on on, on screen. So it, it it was always breathing and moving, and I, I it's just that's the way Brett works. I mean, it's like. If you like sound design, you know, this, this is as good as it gets. I, I think part of it too is just taking advantage of the room that we have to work with. And so being very conscious and going, 
Okay, if we put that in the center speaker, let's not muddle it up. So we're, we're going to put that in the center speaker. We'll drop the music off to the left and right. right. Let's add a couple guitars back here. Let's move our elements off the center of the screen. And this is a film where you could afford to do that. Right. You know, because it's not, once again, the sound's abstract. So you don't have to put it up in the center. Right. You can actually put the design elements off to the sides. And so it's all part of one. And that, I think, maybe the, the sort of trick to the film was that everything isn't front loaded. Yeah. You know, because there is no sync sound. So then everything, then you're sort of creating an equal value to the surrounds and to, I mean, I was at a screening in Tel Aviv last weekend, the one I was telling you about yeah. on the beach, where I was doing a live mix, and oh, we wow. had separation of, of the surrounds, center, left and right. Yeah. And the, the, the technician had set it where he, when I, before I got to the board, where he had the surrounds down a bit. Mm. You know, probably, I don't know, that much further down right, than yeah, the yeah. other stuff. That's how he preset the film. He's like, this is the standard. Yeah. And, it, you know, and I was, I took that way off, <laughs> yeah. you know. Like, that didn't last. It went for, to 11. That did not last <laughs> yeah. for three seconds, you right. know. And it was like, and there were times in the movie doing a live mix where I actually was had the yeah. surrounds way deeper than the, the center. Bro, that says a lot in terms about your use of sound to tell the story and put the audience in that world. I mean, that a lot of directors might not say, well, we can't do this because this isn't how it's supposed to be. What's, but that doesn't serve the film, obviously. So uh, I think like one of the things that caught my attention was the, um, for all apologies, even like I think it was Marimba's maybe, it felt like it was like in definitely the, the surrounds, like you're saying, just as much as it was in the front wall. And it, it catches you off guard, but then you get pulled back. I mean, at least for me, I got pulled back into the story just because like, wait a second, something's changing here. I need to pay attention to what's going on on the screen. I don't know if that was intentional, but just I, I felt like at times when you traditionally wouldn't want to go to the surrounds you did and which is very much you know I don't know it, but again you're you're telling a story from his point of view right I mean if you think of your traditional documentary that explains whomever's life or whatever concept that's the documentary it explains I'm the expert on so-and-so right. I was this person's friend or whatever this this isn't that I mean there, there's elements of that you know that that you know, Chris can come out and say, oh, you know, this is what our relationship was like, but 90% of it is Kurt speaking himself. Going back to some of the music source tracks, how much multi-tracks did you have to then even think about splitting out? Was there? We had just about everything. Okay. Um, thankfully, we didn't get into it a ton, a ton, but there was occasional moments where we pulled in extra elements. Um, it's interesting with music. You know, we're used to dealing with stuff in stems, right? right. You think in, in the concept of a stem. So you have a dialogue stem, you have music stem, you have effects, whatever. And when you play them all at Unity, you get the sound. Um, with, with a song, that's not always the case. So um, when we got into Territorial Pissing, and I, you know, that, we open up with Territorial Pissing, and, you know, laying in those tracks, it's not the song. When you hit play on all of those together, it's not the song. Yeah. You know, there's, when they go through that mastering process, there's special sauce that happens that doesn't get anywhere, doesn't get recorded anywhere, but, you know, in that master. How did you guys approach the MTV Unplugged, which, you know, people have seen before, but I feel like it's, I heard it for the first time almost. It was very, I don't know, did you guys remix that? I was much? just about to ask that about, yeah. uh, two, two things with that, because yesterday I was at an office somewhere at a label and they, the, the Unplugged was playing. So I was, I was just say visually, I hadn't seen the actual line cut of Unplugged. And right. God, that thing has these terrible dissolves all yeah. over it. Ours looks so much better. 
But what I wanted to ask you about sound-wise was when I saw that at the arc light at the dome, I was, because the room is so spread that I was tripping on the, the mix in that scene because it felt like I could hear, okay, that instrument's coming out of this speaker, that instrument's coming out of this speaker, that, and I don't remember that even on the stage here being that cognizant of each instrument being so clean and crisp and the spread. I mean, there's a piece of software that was used to, okay. to open it up more. And certainly, uh, now that one we use, we use the stereo track. Right. There, there is a 5-1 mix that was done. If you get the DVD, you can hear 5-1 mix that somebody did. So that was just a two-track? That, so that was a two-track, but run through a piece of software that will... Spatially open it up. Yeah, right? that says like, hey, yeah. there's, this is all in the center, so this needs to go here, whereas on the sides and all that. And then Steve added an extra set of faders behind that software so he could even more finely tune in exactly where things were going. Interesting. And, yeah, so I mean, they're, they're, seriously, the, the, the music mix on this, the way that yeah. Steve formulated that whole thing is like, is crazy. And it, it truly is very, very unique 5-1 mixes of all those songs. The, the other thing I think Steve did really successfully was whatever that um, plug-in he did to give Kurt's voice more separation in the center channel. That's it, same piece okay. of software. This was a huge because yeah. sometimes we're dealing with mono tracks of right. Kurt, you know, um, from when he's recording up his boombox. And these guys and Steve were able to, I mean, maybe this is common knowledge to you, but for me it felt yeah, fresh, yeah. Yeah. was add some plug-in that, that was able to separate the voice even on a single on a mono track right. so that Kurt like if you think going back to un unplugged and all apologies he is significantly louder off the center channel which makes you you know which gives you that sense that you're in the room with him the presence and, yeah and, and, you know and it, but it's kind of like that everywhere in the film so you're uh, I mean all the mixes and Kurt's mixes I found with Nirvana generally his vocals were usually mixed down pretty low yeah Definitely. Well, yeah, don't I mean, you think? Oh, think? absolutely. Yeah. He he sits yeah. back in there a bit. Yeah. Um, and and we made the effort to really push him forward. How much did you guys rely on stuff that was released by the record labels? You said vinyl, even was something that you guys visited. We yeah. Researched. Yeah, we went through all the possible vinyl takes we could get, special releases. Um, we had access to the the various labels and their archives. Some some masters were missing. Yeah. Which was a little rough, but we'll talk about <laughs> that. I don't, yeah, yeah, there are. <laughs> yeah, never mind. They, they are. They're around. Yeah. They're around somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but what, what can you say when you start looking at, okay, we have this version, this version? How do you decide what, what to you is like more important? What, what, is it the fidelity? Well, what, what? well, Brett made decisions as to what, what take, what he wanted, what, what source it was. But then for that individual source, there may have been a couple different versions. Mm -hmm. So, uh, We'd, after a lot of research, we would yeah. find out what's best, A, B them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, and all of them are kind of slightly different speeds. Okay. Yeah. You know, because like, oh, that record master, it's just like a little bit off. So, you know, a, a lot of it is just like making it all kind of land at the same moment so that you're saying like when you swap it out, it's just, it that is the same song. It's just, yeah, it's got a different dynamic range. Sure. It's got a different quality to it. How did you treat a lot of these live shows? Did you have good audio from the big stick? I, I went everywhere from you know VHS camcorder yeah. uh, audio, uh, I think Love Buzz, mm -hmm. to um, you know fully you know live multi-track mixes. Um, you know I think it's a case by case 
situation. I think like on a track like Love Buzz in the film, which was such a crappy recording um, to begin with, you know, we, we sort of, if, if I'm not mistaken, that A, that track is not as loud as some of the other tracks. And I think we sort of embraced the crappiness of it yeah. in a way, because it, 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 in a sense, it makes you feel like you're there. You know, there's, there's something that works for it. I think one of, the, uh, one of the big challenges of the film was trying to know and learn when to clean stuff up and when to let it go raw. Yeah. You know, because the, 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 you know, we're conditioned to clean everything up. Right. But something gets lost in the process, and it became very apparent on this film because the film is so analog that you can live, I, personally, I could live with some, some noise, some hiss, to get a more full-bodied voice as to compressing it and going through some filters and pulling out, out the, yeah. thinning it out. And that also worked with the music. I think there were one or two times where Steve had prepared uh, aesthetically a more pr pronounced and proper mix, and we ended up sort of going with uncorrected. Sometimes that's temp love. It's just the way you're, you've been listening to it for right. so long, and it's it's hard. I think territorial reading might have been one of those. I'm not sure, but um, but I think I think that was also an interesting thing. Like even to the very last days of the mix, we were going, we were AB rolling. You would have a, a source audio interview that was just crap, and going back and forth between okay, this is what it sounds like clean, and this is what it sounds like unfiltered. And I think more than not with this film, we let a lot of stuff go more raw but just because it it, it, it felt more um, seamless with the analog aesthetic yeah definitely on Kurt on Kurt yeah yeah we had we had that fight a few times. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know because we cleaned we yeah. cleaned yeah that's the Frick interview like Frick's side is really clean yeah and and we had a cleaner version of Kurt and you felt like it we lost something some kind of mm. his essence was was missing from it I don't know. Well, you know, we still have our opinions as to which way it should go. But yeah, you can you can hear Frick, and he's cleaner, and right. Kurt, you know, noise comes in. You know, that's the that's the way it goes. But at the end of the day, you've got clarity. Oh yeah. Oh, lots and, of clarity. And that was Absolutely. what was critical. Right. There's so intelligibility. You can hear push, the saying. Always push for intelligibility. Right. And, right. And then whether it had the character and the the fuzz around it. Uh, yeah. That so, was. So going back to these tape recordings, when you when you wanted to make some of these sequences, these really interesting personal moments of recreating like almost like a day in the life of Kurt Cobain. It's great because like one of the ones that really stood out when he's in um, the rain, one of the first ones with the, with the rain, just in general, like it's not necessarily in the recording, but you wanted to kind of bring that into the animation. And during that month happened to be the epitome of my mental abuse from my mother. It turned out the pot didn't help me escape my troubles too well anymore, and I was actually enjoying doing rebellious things like stealing booze and busting store windows. And nothing ever mattered. I decided within the next month I'll not sit on my roof and think about jumping, but I'll actually kill myself. And I wasn't going out of this world without actually knowing what it was like to get laid. What, what were some of the other design elements? Like, were did you think of this as you were going, or? Was not until you handed it off to Cameron. Wow, that scene, that was probably one of the more pure Cameron scenes where we gave him almost nothing in the, uh, from the offline. Um, and part of that, no, and there was nothing. I mean, there was a tiny two maybe effects. Yeah. I, was, I was really 
well, first of all, that scene, you're talking about the scene where Kurt loses his virginity, that didn't have score until very close to picture lock. Okay. I had that as just Kurt's voice. So I was having a hard time conceiving of that scene with any sound design because if it was just Kurt's voice, uh, I, you know, it, it was sort of was confusing to me. No, it was, huh. it was confusing. To, if we didn't have music in it and it was just Kurt's voice, like, do we put effects on okay. or not? And how does that work? And because the, the scene starts ostensibly with the, the, this idea that Kurt's grabbing a microphone and recording. So there's these sort of things that start going through your head. I think ultimately we just said that was, I remember we, when, when I went to your house early on, like we need to go full. This is one of the few scenes that needs to be folded. Okay. Like we need to, we need to bring us into this. We need to fill out the space. Recover it, yeah. It was one, of, and even then, the way it gets into it is really sort of subtle. I, if, I, if I remember right, the first few shots were sort of really kind of quiet, and it's the family eating, and it's very quiet, and nothing's in front of you, and then the scene really starts to pick up as it as it moves forward. I think once. The music kicks in, we then had more space to, to bring up effects. This typical pubescent problem was in effect during the height of my problems with my father and stepmom, you know, the typical wicked stepmom story. And so I moved to both grandparents, the fourth set of aunts and uncles, and so forth and so on within the year. And in eighth grade, my mom had no choice to take me in because my dad packed my stuff and drove me to her house in the morning and left me there. That scene has zero to any Kurt sound design. Yeah. And was all, all John and Cameron. But, but it is his voice. I mean, that's Well, truly, it's his voice, yeah. Yeah, right. that's truly him telling that story to you. Yeah. When he discovers pot, those sounds are Kurt. Yeah, that's true. In that's that, true. The, that, the, the, those crazy voices. When he exhales. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. and it goes into, this, into this, the star or right. whatever. That's true. Yeah, yeah that is all Kurt. Awesome. Um, that was one. That was another one that actually we we heavily noise, used heavy noise reduction on his storytelling there. I mean that mm -hmm. original recording is amazingly bad. I mean yeah. I don't know what he used for that. <laughs> some some is that right? crappy. It sounds ass, great in the movie now. Oh, it sounds <laughs> it sounds awesome. But you would if you go back and you pull out your original recording, yeah. oh my God, it's awful. Oh. It is just, there is the worst noise sitting underneath that whole thing. And somehow we managed to Yeah, you did a great job. <laughs> like, like, like the one though, like when, when it's, it's him at his house in the kitchen, the phone rings and he goes and answers the phone. I almost thought like, wait, is this actually real? Because it didn't, it's just so. That was real. It's a, that right. is real. That's another one you cleaned up pretty well because I remember that yeah. was really, I mean, he had a boom box on the other side of the room. Yes. Yeah. I, mean, I just watched that. I was like, "Wait, did this really happen? Did he go answer yeah. the phone? And then that, he comes that back really, and that really happened." Right. Yeah. Yeah. With Tra Tracy, with Kurt's, uh, Kurt's early girlfriend, when she talks about this, Kurt's getting stomach aches, which is just like this segue into this the sequence. Maybe you guys can set up heroin sequence. Set up what it is you're trying to visually. It's really, you know, there's. A lot That's my favorite design scene in the film because I, I feel and Cameron and and Cameron and John designed. Mm -hmm. That was, I think. We threw a lot of stuff at that, there, there, and you, you, you threw out a lot of stuff of that. Yeah, but... You know, but, we but, kept like, well, what about this sound? What about that sound? What about that? You know, and that was one of those finding... Finding, finding the voice. Yeah. I think of some of the more obvious scenes, like in the third act, a lot of that stuff was, um, you know, was, were Kurt's designs, like, you know, 50 hits of Demerol, like all that shit. There's a lot of Kurt. Yeah. 
the stomach scene, there's uh, there's nothing of Kurtz in there, and yet you know it needs to feel like it is, and 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 um, that was a trippy scene to work on because that was a lot of industrial noises, if I'm not mistaken. We wanted to, it, uh, I almost it, you know almost want to be like in a Charles Dickens factory, okay. you know, in the industrial age yeah, somewhere. Yeah. Maybe that comes from like a racer head. Okay. You know, just and just, just just really unsettling sort of <laughs> that sort of stuff, and um, coupled with an aggressive, I think, um, mix component, so that the, sometimes the sounds. I, I love that little thing. We didn't. I think we did this on the stage where there's there's quick cuts and succession in there, and the sound drops out for a second, and then it comes back in, and it's it's just all. Um, and then we did that fun stuff at the beginning of that scene with the flies and, you know, we're just sort of... Like you're going into the mouth and the flies are coming out. Yeah, yeah. it was, it just felt like we were going into this other world and, and, um, and you know, once again, it's, it's creating that sort of tension. Yeah. Because what is telling us, think about what you have there. You have 70-year-old black and white archival footage of nothing, essentially. Yeah. Medical footage. Medical footage, yeah. um, and you have you have you have um, Tracy's voiceover. There's Heart Shape Box playing in the background. Is that right? Yeah, and we have Heart Shape, but we have the ISO guitar from Heart Shape Box. So essentially, in a typical universe, it would be Tracy on camera telling this story, right? right with some photographs of Kurt. Right. Um, but the way the film works is you're actually feeling the pain of that. And then there was actually one of my favorite moments of the design in the film is when we get to the journal of him um, where he says he's been on heroin since 1987. Mm -hmm. And there's that sound where it goes, the drop. Yeah, and then it sort release. of, yeah. and then there's these sands. I don't even know what they are, yeah. but they were the, uh, I think we talked about almost like maggots, like insects, almost, you remember we talked like, yeah. it was almost like metal insect, here's like, here's a like vibe. Yeah. It's like a spider with metal legs sort of gnawing, eating away like a cancer, like And I love that sound that's in that every, every time I was cranked it the other night in television. <laughs> because I love that it's just like, it's really subtle, yeah. but it's like, and it just, it sounds like decay to me. Yeah. And so, so it was, I mean, I would say that's kind of the, the, the 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 oral vibe of that scene is just it's also the, the peaceful release yeah the catharsis just, yeah the, yeah the, that tension release which I've never been on heroin but it sort of I don't know it sort of captured I think some of that Kurt would get stomach aches a lot and say his stomach hurt you know he'd be feeling fine then he'd get out of the car and just be like I gotta throw up I know he went to the doctor once or twice but it didn't really work. Most of the time I was sitting right in my stomach, right where my stomach pain is. Every time I've had an endoscope, they find a red irritation. I would sing and cough up blood. It's like, this is no way to live a life. I love to play music, but something's not right. So I decided to medicate myself. Mm -hmm. 
one of the ones that kind of caught my attention was the Vanity Fair article sequence. What you same, same. We yeah. have the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that what it is? Okay. Same thing where it's, it feels like this is this is the beginning of the descent of of, of yeah. the bottom falling out. Yeah. Of so. From a, just a story standpoint, like the feedback I've heard, people love the film, but they're like, it's a hard film to watch. Obviously, like it, it's it's a film that you know the ending going into it. Mm -hmm. So, how did you want to treat kind of what we're what we're calling this this third act? How did, uh, I, I think that the this is where I think seeing the film in a movie theater or seeing it at home really makes a big difference. Okay. I think when you see the film on a big screen, the darkness of the third act is minimized because there's a sublime component to the experience of watching it so that when it's magnified and big it actually softens it's a softer experience i also think one of the the the, the bigger challenges with this film is that because as we were saying so much of the film is designed to create an immersive experience through the surrounds you know the fear of what happens when that's on television and you lose that immersion yeah and then what is because we're not just doing that just to do that, we're doing, we're working in the surrounds because that's a storytelling device. Right. And so there's always that fear as well. But I think in the third act, um, you know, I knew early on that it wasn't gonna have a happy ending. Right. And so, you know, you, you, you that's sort of liberating into itself. And, and like I said, I, I, I don't have, I, I personally find the third act to be my favorite part of the film to watch, I'm not, I don't want to sound perverse. I don't mean like the haircutting stuff. Sure, yeah. That oh, stuff. The harder scenes, yeah. That stuff I can I mean, can barely watch that. So I understand when people say the film's hard to watch. It is. Yeah. It's meant to be. I mean, you're, right. you're, you're, those scenes, you didn't, nobody wants to look at that. Um, I'm speaking more in terms of those more um, graph motion effects uh, coupled with sound design sequences of based on Kurt's journals and art that exist in the third act that I, I, I to this day, I find them totally sublime. And my favorite part of my you know, favorite parts of experiencing the film. What, what can you say about the difference of working on Crossfire Hurricane, which is a really condensed schedule, and something like this? Which did you have more of a timeline that you could? <laughs> There's never enough time. There's never yeah. enough time. Yeah. And of course, Cameron yeah. says we'd still be working on it. Yeah, Cameron's like, right. Cameron's right. On it, right. So uh, what is? No, 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 no. We would have found. Uh, there would have probably have arrived at the point where the you know the problem with making films is. <laughs> You look at a cut of a film, and you come up with, you write notes as you're watching, right? I, I can do a screening and let's say, you know, during late into the editing process, and I'll come up, we'll do a screening, and I'll end up with um, eight pages of notes. We'll correct those notes, the ones that are correctable, like little mistakes, whatever. Yeah. We'll watch it later that day, and I'll have eight more pages of notes, and they'll have nothing to do with the original eight pages of notes. I think that's what Cameron's getting at, that there's, you can, it, the more you look at it, you keep finding things that are wrong. I think it's really hard to arrive at a place where there's nothing left to fix. Where you feel like this is this is good. This is yeah. This is I think we've enough. arrived there though with this yeah. film. Like yeah. I, I I know what Cameron's saying because when we left the stage, you you literally I had to be pulled off the stage. <laughs> like I was not ready to let yeah. it go. But I do feel. I mean, there was a, the moment when the film opened theatrically, and I was yeah. at the Cinerama Dome, and I was watching the film. You know, 800 people in the room. And it never sounded that good. I'd yeah. never heard it sound. It sounded better to me than it did on this mixing stage. 
and the, the colors were better than they've ever been and the audience was there and I remember thinking this is it. This yeah. was like the moment. This was, it was like pitching a, a, a you know, like a, you know, a perfect game. Like there was nothing I want to change. Yeah. You know, everything sounds great. It looks great, you know, and that's those, you know, and that, that will never, I'll never experience the film like that again, because of course, the next time I saw the film, it, there were, right. it, you know, things that weren't as, as but. Um, well, it's I, never, yeah, it's never good the second time. I think the problem with sound design is, is this, there was a moment with this film where um, we ran out of, we definitely went through our mixing days and we had a generous amount of mixing days to start and we went through them fast. I mean, we were how long going, are we talking about? What was your timeline? We weren't near finishing the film twelve days into the, to the mix. Okay. I mean, I don't think I, I don't know. Whose expectation was it to be done twelve days? Well, I, I think we all thought it would be fine. <laughs> or, or we did a full pass at the house. Yeah, I mean, it was that, twelve days. We're music. talking about thirty days, yeah. really. We're talking twelve on a stage, but right. Cameron had been doing it, and, and John had been doing a, um, a mix and uh, at their facility, you know, before we got to the stage. But there was a moment where the Bond company called, <laughs> and it got it. really dicey. Uh -oh. <laughs> and I don't know how much you guys were aware of this. I think you got you might have got called by the Bond company. I'm not sure, but it was dicey because they we were not close to being done. Right. And um, what are you supposed to do at that point? I mean, well, you have the, to. I I remember. I remember having this thought that everything up to now is an audition. It doesn't matter. Yeah. The eight years leading up to getting to that stage, all you're doing is auditioning the movie. The movie is is what happens here. Mm. So if you try to cut, this is the last place in the world you should cut corners. Right. Cut a week out of your offline edit, but don't cut the mixing stage because this is it. This is the whole thing was about this. And this is what we're gonna have to live with. And I remember there was a moment where I called the bond company and just said, listen, I'm gonna make this really easy on you guys. Yeah. Send over a waiver. I will sign the waiver. I will take full responsibility for overages from here on out. But you're not kind of shut us down. Right. We're, we're going to keep going. And that says a lot about you as a director, understanding the importance of music and sound, obviously. I mean, not just from this is a story that needs it just as much as anything else. But I mean, I, I think I, you were with these films, they, 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 they take so much energy and work. And to walk away when you know there's something, when you can see that something's wrong yeah. is unexcusable. Right. You know, I mean, that was. Crossfire, I remember, you know, having a rough one at the last day where I had to get it, go across town, and I, I almost took my name off the film. I mean, I was like, I, I was on the phone with my lawyers the next day because I was, I didn't feel, and I'm happy with the mix and the design yeah, and, absolutely. and Crossfire. I just felt like, even if it was one thing, you got to live with this for eternity. Right. Yeah, or not eternity. Right. We'd like to think it's eternity. It's really, <laughs> really for like 10 sittings. These films follow you into the afterlife, it's true. <laughs> but, but, you know, you want to get it right. And, and you know, will I gamble my kid's college tuition? You know, sadly, yes. Yeah. Kids, <laughs> community, SMC is not so bad. <laughs> Dad, I thought you were putting away money. Well, you remember that movie we did about 10 years ago? Cameron yeah. has your money. Go visit oh, yeah. Cameron at his house. So Cameron, what can you say just about knowing how long it's going to take you and knowing that, like, like, we always hear this, there's never enough time. So what can you say just about when you get to the point of, you have a director like Brett, which is like, we're not there yet. How do you focus your attention? What is the direction that, you know, where, where do you try to put your, your, your kind of uh, priorities? You know, you keep responding to the images and the story that's happening. Um, but in a film like this, it's so artistic, and the canvases are 
you know, forever elusive. You're always, you're always pushing and pulling on it, trying to get it to happen, and um, and you're you're always questioning if it's done. It's because it's not. You can you can pull on an emotion, push on an emotion. It's it's all it's all emotional context. But it's it unlike a, say a tentpole action scene where like the guy's flying by and the, the building's exploding. Once that has that sonic value and you've attached a picture, you're done. Yeah. It's like that that's good. With something like this, it's it's forever creative. I mean you are are we expressing enough joy? Are we expressing enough pain? Is it you know, have we tried another idea? I mean, it's, um, this is one of those wonderful experiences where you can just keep going. Um, and then how, how do you walk away? Um, you know, you, it's, the world has it, a seat it, it's hard. I mean, I will say these guys were amazing because I was, I, to me, mixing is my favorite part of the film because yeah. in, in a sense, I could literally sit back on a nice comfy chair and see the film on a giant screen, which I've been waiting to for. So there's that part of it, even though I'm looking at the offline and now you're hearing it in this amazing way. It should be the most pleasurable, to me, the most pleasurable part of, of directing. I found, I must have drove these guys insane because from the second we, I got into the mixing stage, I didn't, there was, I didn't want a small talk. I just was staring at the screen because I, I just felt that we were, we were going to be behind the eight ball and we were going to need every fucking second yeah, to yeah. get there. And, I, you know, I, I know I was a, I was like, a I've, I don't think I've ever been that tense. Yeah. And because it was also trying to be locked in. Right. You know, it was like just staring, even during breaks, I would sit there sometimes just staring straight ahead in the same seat. So my ears would stay adjusted. To the room and what you To the room yeah. and where we were and just like, I mean, I, I know, as I, I, I guess I will publicly apologize. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I mean, I, I've never been, I don't, I, I would leave looking at James going, oh my God, man, I don't know how they're going to show up to work tomorrow because I know that I've got to be unbearable right now. But I, you know, it was. Well, I think there's also. There, were, there was so know, much, pri you know. It was well, the responsibility of what you're trying to do, of tell the story, which has been held on so closely for so long now. And obviously, you lived with lived with it for so long. And as as elusive as these these moments are, and you you keep reaching out, Brett's your barometer as to whether you're close or not. Right. You know, because we could keep going, but it's only once Brett is is satisfied do you feel any like accomplishment because it's just a it's a long long tunnel that you're going down and. Uh, until someone says there's daylight, you're still in there. There's a line from the kids says in the picture, Bob says, uh, <laughs> inevitably when everyone gets along, the work comes out underwhelming. And, um, and that, you know, sometimes you have to push and pull and, and, and I, I don't necessarily concur with that. I don't think I'd be able to get a lot of people to work with me if, if I walked in and then said that in the first meeting, although I probably do. <laughs> but um, but I, I'm happy to say that when we ask the question, when you know it's ready like i feel it's ready i feel like we did it and it was painful to arrive there but um you know and even walking into this building having not been here since the thing you know it's, it's sort of the scene of the crime but you know it, the fact that it's done and it's behind us and we've created something that i think we can all be really proud of and right. know that we did it the way we needed to do it and um i i know that i've sat with other sound mixers and designers watching this film and they are floored by what you guys did you know and you know 
more importantly, I, you know, I've, like I said, I've seen this film 40 in all sorts of venues, and I, I'm, there's, you can't, you know, if you, you know, turn this on right now, there's, no, I have nothing. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing there's I want to touch. If we do a playback, <laughs> we'll find no, something. What, yeah. It's, but it's close to nothing. No, no, but it's nothing. I, no, right, no, so, no, no, because I, if there was something, it would have been addressed. Right. I mean, it would literally, because I, there was, even after Berlin, I think I went in and, and did a tweak somewhere, but yeah. the, um, I think we got it. Yeah, I, I think I think you definitely guys got in, and I, I think people are just going to continue to enjoy it and find something new about this project as you continue to watch it over the years. And um, yeah, I think, thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk about this, and congratulations, and you know, I think it's a huge accomplishment to even get this far. So, yeah. awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Ain't it a shame to go fishing on a Sunday? Ain't it a shame? Ain't it a shame to go fishing on a Sunday? Ain't it a shame? Ain't it a shame to go?